Now I'm going to introduce a longtime friend of mine, a person that I met first through public access TV. She had a show called Outrageous Women, and I believe you might understand, if you know a little bit about me, why I was attracted to a show called Outrageous Women. <laughs> After that, there was a little more this and a little more that, and it turns out the last few years where I've had Thanksgiving is the place that Sojourner also had Thanksgiving. She brings the sweet potatoes. I usually bring a ricey mushroom dish, um, you know, that kind of thing. She would bring green sometimes, they're lovely. And uh, she and her husband, Rod, who's in the back here, uh, uh, we're, I think we have a special connection. I really, I really deeply love these, this couple, and I have had permission to be outrageous for about 30 years because of my first seeing Sojourner on the show Outrageous Women. Tonight, she's here as part of this Juneteenth celebration. She has a beautiful, beautiful book. The poster is over here, and they have copies downstairs. Its title is Free at Last, a Juneteenth poem, and it's just a gorgeous book. I have one on my coffee table, and I look at it about every other day because it's just so lovely. And she's going to come here tonight. Are you ready? Well, come on, get up, get up, start getting up. And and in uh, in her most elegant outfit, and she has many. She is going to come and help us all to celebrate Juneteenth for the first time at the Santa Barbara Writers Conference. Please welcome Sojourner Kincaid Roll. When I came in, there was about three people here, so it's, it's a great treat to turn around. Oh, and I love this microphone. Earl, where are you? This is excellent. I have to ask people all the time, can you hear me? And I knew right away when I opened my mouth here, you could hear me. So, Sojourner. Sojourner is my name, and I, I'm, a lot of people in Santa Barbara know my name. Um, I have so many little bitty stories I want to tell you. This is a great honor for me. Grace, I can't tell you. I don't think I could ever express in words how much it means for me that you invited me to come and speak tonight. Thank you very much. <laughs> and uh, as I tell other people, I'm just about all the local writers in, that uh, participate over the years in the Santa Barbara Writers Conference are my friends. And so I feel like I'm part of the group, uh, even though I've only come a few times for some programs, et cetera. But I've always been sort of somewhere near the Writers' Conference. And I wanted to start out by saying uh, two things. One, I know one of your um, famous, well-known participants, uh, uh, one of your famous, well-known participants, who was, I guess, a friend of Barnaby's, and, and used to come all, all, all the time. And uh, 
Uh, I think because my book eventually, you're going to find out, is in the area of banned books, I want to I tell you that Ray Bradbury, I want to say that Ray Bradbury is one of the admirers, my, one of my favorite admirers. I read that book for, for Fahrenheit 451 probably 50 years ago. <laughs> and just the idea of banning books and burning libraries and not protecting the word. And one of the things that I really liked about Fahrenheit 51, I, how many of you have ever read that book? I'm going to recommend it. Oh, everybody here has read that book. Well, the thing that fascinated me the most was that there was this select group of people in this community that and when they started burning the books in the library, you'll probably remember that each person took on the task of learning a book by heart. Some of them read books as long as, as large as War and Peace and memorized it, but each person's um, part was to memorize a book to carry it on into posterity and so that that book and that word would not die. So that's been one of my inspirations for years. And I think my friend Janice is here from the Santa Barbara Library. The library had um, Ray, Brad Ray Bradbury here uh, about 10 years ago. And that was a great treat for everybody in Santa Barbara. And he used to use the Eastside Library. And he actually lived, I think, on um, Coda Street, one of, the, one of the streets on the east side. So I feel very touched. Uh, to, to be a part of this effort. And the second person I want to mention is Bill Downey. Oh. And uh, many of you will remember Bill Downey. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, a few years back, maybe about 10 years ago, um, Grace started putting her drawings on, on Facebook. And that's how I found her on Facebook. And I just love, I don't know why she's just not an artist, uh, but art. Writing is an art, but you know her, her drawings are just fabulous. And anyway, so I started communicating with her on Facebook uh, because I admired her drawings so much. And I mentioned to her, I thought we should have uh, some uh, event that reminds our community of what an important person Bill Downey was here. And so I hope all you fans, somehow or another, uh, will find some way uh, to revive his work in the community. And, uh, and you'll find out more about him. His kids, kids live here. And uh, I did an interview with him on Outrageous Women. Uh, and I actually wrote a poem after the interview because uh, it, uh, Ray, I mean, um, Bill had written, he wrote, he wrote historical books too. And I, I would say that's another reason I feel very uh, touched by Bill. And uh, he wrote books, of, he was from uh, Oklahoma and Minnesota and that part of the country. And so he wrote about African-American people and heritage, his heritage in that region. And it's another thing that inspires me, those of us who write history of, about the history that we think has been left out of books and needs to be tell, told all these years later. You know, there's a whole dozen of us who are, we're, we're, con, we're committed to telling the stories of our families and our ancestors and all, of, all the people that are related to us, which means everybody, you know, so. So Juneteenth, we come to Juneteenth, and uh, the day is June 19th, and it stands for June, uh, and, and the 19th of June, and it, uh, most people know, many people know, that Juneteenth is, is the day in Galveston, Texas, when the people of African descent who lived in that area and who had been formerly enslaved for 300 years in America, uh, received word that they could stop what they were doing for no pay and no 
fair treatment and beatings and whippings and all of the things that went along with being a person held in bondage uh, as far back as you could see. And so on June 19th, 1865, uh, they call it Troop Number Three arrived in Galveston, Texas, and, uh, and read the proclamation in the town square that slavery was no longer um, official in the United States. You could not be held as a slave. Now, that didn't end slavery. So that's why we say Juneteenth is a symbolic holiday. It represents the idea of there not being no slavery in, in this country. And um, there's a whole list of dates that I have that I'm not going to read to you today about all the things that happened in 1865 that were related to this uh, Emancipation Proclamation announcement uh, two and a half years after it was originally declared by President Abraham Lincoln. And uh, on that day, my poem is about the fact that on that day, June 19th, uh, when the people heard it, they did everything you could imagine, but the first thing they did was say, thank God. And they said, what does this mean? And they read notes to each other, not so read, but told each other stories, and they dropped everything they were doing. And so my poem is about what people do when they are free. They do what they want to do. That's the base, I think that's the bottom line of the symbol of what does freedom mean. And this is a day that we have chosen to represent freedom. Now we have other days of freedom. In fact, we in the African-American community, the black community, African-descended community, celebrated uh, Freedom Day, Emancipation Day. Many of the states didn't have what they call Juneteenth. That was something very unique to the to the people of Texas uh, that, they, that they, they started to celebrate and had annual celebrations. It wasn't until the end of the year in 1865 when the 13th Amendment was passed that states that, uh, and ratified that the uh, slavery was officially ended. So that's why we say that Juneteenth is a symbolic day. But it represents uh, freedom for more than African Americans, people of African descent. It has come to represent freedom for all people and people all over the world. So when my book was first, uh, not the book was first published, uh, when, my, when, when uh, the poem was first start, started to come out and someone made a video and it was on, online, it's still online, and uh, my, a friend who had lived here in, uh, in Santa Barbara for a, couple, for a few years, she's a poet, uh, Natalie Napoleon. And uh, she had moved back to Australia, her home country. And so when the video came out, uh, Natalie put up a post on her Facebook page, and she sent it out all of, and she had won a national prize in, in uh, Australia. So I think she, she lived not in Sydney, but maybe a smaller village in town in, in Australia. She put a note up on her Facebook, on her Facebook page. Um, which went to all of everybody she knew in Australia and said, here is a video that you can learn about what Juneteenth means uh, in America and everywhere. So whenever I wrote the book, I put in there that the book was being praised all over the world. And Natalie's <laughs> post on Facebook was the basis upon which I felt I could say that. <laughs> all over the world. And then my friend, or another one of my friends, I don't know if she's here, Margaret, Margaret had sent an email to a friend of hers who lived in Berlin. And so I put, and she wrote me and said, oh, I got a note from Ber Berlin. They really liked the book. So it went in my, in my office note. Every place I could see that people were lifting up this book 
and praising it and, and sharing it all over. Well, uh, it, it, the book came out, they were very fortuitous, so I'm gonna skip there. Have I, have I uh, said as much about Juneteenth as I needed to say to get everybody up to page on that, on that holiday that we celebrate this weekend? Everywhere, we had a big, big, big celebration in Santa Barbara yesterday, Juneteenth, downtown. It was just fabulous. And actually, this is the fifth year that the Santa Barbara Juneteenth um, uh, organization has put on events in Santa Barbara. The first one they put on, they said, they put out a note on Facebook, said, anybody have anything they want to say about Juneteenth? And I said, oh, I have a poem. And so this is how I met all of the people in Healing Justice and Santa Barbara Jan uh, Juneteenth uh, celebration. I went to read my little poem that I had written about Juneteenth, guess what, like 30 years ago. So I wanted to, tell, I wanted to share that story with you a little bit just because I think it would mean a lot to uh, all of you who are writers. I wrote the poem Free at Last uh, in 2004. So that was 18 years before the publishing company sent me a little note and said, would you be interested in your poem being an illustrated children's book? And I almost, you know, just brushed it off because there's so many ways that writers get appealed to, you know. Can we write, can we publish your poem? And then they want $1,000 from you the next, the next email. <laughs> so I didn't really respond right away. Uh, but I did look up uh, the woman who had called me, who turned out to be my editor now still is Susie Capozzi. And she, uh, I looked her up and I said, ooh, Barnes and Noble? Oh, I can't believe it. So I did call back and make an appointment and had an online interview and they had done their research and knew all about me and other things that I had written, but they just came across my poem on the internet. And so what, the one little point I wanna say about that is all these years that I've been a poet, people always say when the internet started being very popular and people started putting things on the internet. They said, don't put your stuff on the internet because somebody will steal it. Or make sure you send it to the copyright office and mail it to yourself so you can have proof that you wrote it. Well, I had never done anything like that. And usually anytime anybody asks me to publish a poem, I always did. I just never have been much into submitting work for publication. And um, so, and I was just, I've always been very pleased with how much uh, I was able to work in the area of being, uh, being a poet and, uh, and felt, felt like the things that I wrote that were important that I wanted the world to hear or my friends or whomever, I, I never had any problem. I didn't feel any kind of lack from not being in a lot of journals or not at different places published. But this was just amazing to me. So I went ahead and said yes. And, uh, and we talked and they said, you know, it'll be uh, February, we'll put it out in February then for Black History Month next year. And so then COVID happened. <laughs> and so things started getting put back. So that took a while. Uh, uh, that took a while. But just my point for there is a poem that I had written 18 years before I was contacted by someone who wanted to, to publish it as a book. And little did I know that it would be such a huge book because little did I know, little did they know, that a year later, that the it was going to be Juneteenth would become a national holiday. It was just an amazing thing. Three days before Juneteenth last year, 2022, and my book came out like three weeks before that. 
And it was just a book at the right time and the right moment that uh, touched the right frame. And so, uh, and now I, I was telling my friend that yesterday I got, I get notes from everybody all over the world. Not all over the world, but all over the country. So yesterday I know that it was a review in the Seattle Times, the Boston Globe. It was on uh, NPR on their all-day podcast about Juneteenth. And it's just everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. Um, and I have taken myself as a person out of the mix of being, I'm one of the team, and my poem was the center point for the poem. My poem was the center point for the book, but the team that put it together was amazing, and the most amazing of all was Alex Bostic, uh, the illustrator who, who illustrated this book. And uh, he teaches art at the University, uh, at Mississippi State in, in Mississippi. He's been an illustrator for 40 years, and he, uh, this is only the second book he's illustrated in his 40 years of being an illustrator. And uh, he'd never done a poem. There is an interview online that, uh, that they did with me and Alex, and he tells the whole story of how he came up with the pictures, how he used people in his own family, his son, his the person who cuts his grass is the man who's reading the proclamation uh, to the people in the book. Everybody in the book is a real person in Alex's life. And he was already known for his um, his ability to uh, render African-American people in particular in, in something like their true way of looking. <laughs> and uh, that was a, that's, a, that's a big issue for us, and I think it's a big issue for the, rea the popularity of the book, is that it, it looks so much like somebody you know. It looks like your aunt, your mother, your sister, or your neighbor down the street, or someone who was your professor. It's just very personable. And so I do hope you are able to check out his name, Alex Bostick, and the interview. It's on my website, which is sojournerkincaidroll.com. Uh, you can find the whole interview with Alex. So that's the second part I wanted to tell you about, is being so fortunate. Because once they, uh, we agreed that they were going to do the book, they sent me three illustrators. They said, you can't choose. You don't have any say, say on the artwork. And a lot of writers and publishers will know that. The, the publisher, the publisher chooses the illustration and all of that. So, but they sent me three. They said you can have input. They sent me three to look at, and Alex just popped off the page right away. And I sent the email back immediately. I chose Alex. They said we did too, and so that marriage was made. And Alex Bostic also is the illustrator who created last year's Black History Month uh, stamp. And uh, even though I can think of her first name, Eugenia. <laughs> I can't think of her last name. but So he's very prominent, and how could I be so lucky? And what I just feel like is I'm a part of the team, because the art director, the editors, the marketing team, um, somehow or another Barnes & Nobles or Union Square Books knew that this was going to be a big, big book. And so I would say last year they put every, they just threw the whole ball of wax. And the, it was published, it was put in, and you know, got some of the top reviews in the country. And if you just Google the name, you'll see it's like people. So that's the second part of it, is so many people embraced it. And then all my friends, I bet I have at least five grandmothers in here who've told me I bought 10 copies. Uh, I sent it to all my grandkids or everybody I ever used to know. People sent it to their libraries. 
Uh, they read it and they pass it on. People write, I'm sending it to this book club that I used to belong to and recommending that they choose it. I'm just overwhelmed with how much uh, praise and um, acclaim that the book, and it's made looks, books like Best Books for Youth and uh, Best Books for Youth for 2022 and um, Best Books about Black History for 2022. It's just, it's just a phenomenal thing. And what I hope is, is this is an it's inspiring, that it's inspiring to other writers. Like if you have something back there in the closet that is dear to you, but you never put it someplace that other people could uh, learn about how, what a dear treasure it is that you wrote this. <laughs> so I, I'm just lifted up. And I just have to tell you that in the midst of all of this, I encountered a serious medical problem. And so all the year that I've been celebrating Juneteenth and, uh, and uh, being on Zooms, thank goodness for Zooms, <laughs> enabled us to be places we couldn't go. I went last year to Texas, actually, to the uh, Texas Librarians Association an uh, annual conference. And I was invited to be on the poetry panel for the book. And uh, the, people, the people were lined up. They only had bought 100. They bought. Uh, to the Texas Library, because the book wasn't published yet. It was on the way out. But anyway, they bought 100 copies of sort of what they call a, not the book, but the, a, a markup or something. But anyway, I signed 100 copies in 52 minutes. Because, and, then, and, and the line was still out the door of all those people in Texas who wanted that book, because it's really what it represents to me. It's what it represents. People want to touch it, have it give it to their family, tell their families about it. And everybody knows how important Juneteenth is uh, to this country. Now that we finally have had it put in front of us, you know what I mean? For all these years, people from Texas, celebrate. they've been celebrating Juneteenth since 1865, you know? Uh, and they moved places. So California already had a uh, law in place that's celebrating Juneteenth. And it got up to the point there was like last, I think in 2020, 40, 49 states uh, had declared some sort of acknowledgement of Juneteenth as a holiday because so, so many people from Texas have carried and spread that word all over. And, you know, and we talk so much about telling our family stories because this is, this is really about our family stories. It's, it's what they went through and it's what they managed to escape from. Uh, two years ago, I don't know whether Leslie was there yet at the Independent, but uh, two years ago they did they did a feature feature on Juneteenth uh, at the Independent, and I interviewed a lot of the people in Santa Barbara who uh, hailed from Texas or whose families came from Texas, and uh, uh, and we made a, we did a, a really nice article. We didn't focus on individuals, but many many families here, uh, uh, African American families, and of course uh, African America and and, and broader, because we have a lot of blended families uh, in Santa Barbara. So a lot of people are touched by this holiday of Juneteenth, and many, many people have roots in Texas. And uh, now that it's a national holiday and something that we all can embrace, it's just a wonderful thing. And I think I want to really applaud Grace again for having the foresight or the friendship or, or the what have you to invite me to come and speak to you. And uh, I hope you'll uh, there, there are copies of the book downstairs, and I can I have uh, some handouts, a few handouts. I'll I'll be downstairs, and as long as I have them, I'll be glad to share them with you. 
and I'll be glad to answer any questions. And uh, how is my time, Grace? I have a few times. Well, you know, I was thinking I might read the book. How, how would you like that? <laughs> okay, so we're going to do that. All right. You know, um, I, I can tell you as much as I can tell you. In the front of the book uh, is a, a, a very nice illustration of the Juneteenth flag of Texas. It's a, an, and I heard a discussion where Alex, the illustrator, is talking about how whether he chose red, white, and blue, or red, blue, and, and black, all the various choices, but he chose the, the Juneteenth flag of Texas that was created in Texas as the beginning, as the opening in the back of the book. So that's a nice piece, and I'm hoping people will have that somewhere in their memory section. Another thing I like about the book, uh, and this is another praise to Alex, I didn't ask him to do this, but he made these beautiful monarch butterflies, one of the main features in the book, which is also all, all of the symbols he put in here, a lot of them are symbols of freedom. And I think the monarch, monarch again, but that's another, uh, that's another attachment to Santa Barbara. I mean, we praise the monarchs. And I have other poems about monarchs, and I ask Alex, how'd you know to put monarchs in, in there? But it was just something I would I guess they would call a um, inspired, an, an inspired moment, which is to have the monarch butterflies as a representation from freedom, and uh, and here we are blessed. Okay, often I would have uh, someone hold the book and turn the pages as I read it, but today I'm just going to read it read it to you, so you just get the sense of it. Uh, this is the guy who cuts Alex's yard. <laughs> The news, okay, one more thing I want to say right over again is that the, the editor, the publishers, they were very conscious about um, uh, things that related to the African-American, what we call now wokeness, you know what I mean? But I was very impressed by how woke the, the publisher was, and there were things that they made sure. So, for instance, my poem, the original poem starts, General, General Granger bought the news to Galveston because that's the general that was leading troop number three. But the publishers, in their wokeness, said, we don't want to give credit to that person for bringing that. So they wrote, and, we, and I agree, the news arrived in, in, in Galveston. The news arrived in Galveston. The war is over. President Lincoln has declared the Emancipation Proclamation decrees all who live in bondage here from sh shall from now until be free. That's a quote from the Emancipation Pro Proclamation. After 300 years of forced bondage, hands bound, descendants of Africa packed up their souls, all that they owned, leaving shackles where they fell on the ground, headed for the nearest resting place. Some went no farther than to shack out back, Oft only a shed, hard ground for a bed, hard labor, no pay, but the will to survive. Though they couldn't call it their own, they still declared, this is my home. Some ran as far as they could go, into the service of the man on the neighboring land, working for a pittance and a little piece of space, much like they did as a slave. Well, I have to say that again. Much 
like they did when enslaved. And the reason it is important for me to say that again is because we don't refer to people who were held in bondage as slaves. That's a part of our consciousness is to understand they were not slaves. Nobody's born a slave. Nobody's a slave. But they were held in bondage. They were enslaved. And so that was one of the uh, changes in the book that the publishers were very uh, specific about us using uh, proper or what we know as now terminology. All right, I'll back to the book. Some ran as far as they could go into the service of the man on the neighboring land, working for a pittance and a little plot of space, much like they did when enslaved. Some went to the nearest place of the Lord, to some hollow place in the brush, or to a clearing in a grove where folks gathered neath a still standing tree and sang, thank you, Jesus, for delivering me. Some made a beeline for the closest dance hall, picking a tune, singing a song, toasting the union and lady luck, setting the flow, dancing the jig and the buck, patting themselves on their whip-scarred backs, reveling from night into day. Some went the way of the river, following the Rio Grande, or swimming the upflowing Mississippi, hastening to get as far as they could, thrusting their futures into sanctuary and unknown friendless territory. Some kept running like a stone on a hill, never to grasp a firm place to rest. Some even went to the promised land. Wherever they went, aloof or a, where, alone or abreast, wherever they went, alone or abreast, at the end of their journey, they cried, I've done my best. And I always, at that little point, I usually inject, uh, oh, when I come. To the end of my journey, weary of life, and the battle is won. And that song goes on to say, to say at the end, he'll understand and say, well done. And so that line, at the end of their journey, they cried, I've done my best. I want to capture that idea because we all, it's the song we all, many of us sing, oh, when I come to the end of my journey. So every day, every year, this changes the tone here in the back of the book because this is family, family passing the story down to family. And this is how the story of Juneteenth has been told, is families passing down through families. Every year in the Lone Star State and in towns from sea to sea, sons and daughters are the ones who were held, telling the stories that their families passed down, celebrate the day their forebears could shout, free at last, hallelujah, I'm free. They will always remember Juneteenth, the day their ancestors could sing, free at last, hallelujah, I'm free. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I enjoy telling this story. Uh, there's more to the story. And, uh, you know, if you watch some of the videos that, that are online, I tell about how when 1989, um, 
we had a mar we had, we had people from Texas who put on a uh, Juneteenth in Santa Barbara, and it was put on by the Martin Luther King Committee this particular event, a uh, Juneteenth celebration. And I was the staff person for the Martin Luther King Committee, so I had to put together the story. And that's how I first learned about Juneteenth when I did the research, because my friend Miss Maddie Brewer, who's from San Antonio, Texas, or Uvalde, really. Um, wanted us to have uh, celebrate Juneteenth in Santa Barbara. And then it was uh, a few years later, some more groups. And so, you know, off and on over the years, even as far back as the 40s, we can find evidence of uh, African-American families in Santa Barbara cele celebrating J Juneteenth. And um, after, um, after we had that celebration and I wrote a fact sheet out and gave it out to everybody about what, what is Juneteenth, uh, in 2004, Mrs. Valencia Nelson, who used to live here, she was a social worker here for many, many years, and she decided to move back to, to Anniston, Alabama, her hometown. And she wrote me a letter and asked me, she started doing work online. She started an online place, and she started work online, and she asked me if I would be the poet for her online magazine that she was basing out of Alabama and the University of Mississippi. And she said, and we're going to do a, a Juneteenth page. Could you send us something? And that was when I wrote the poem for that Juneteenth page. It's still there uh, since 2004, so that's 20 years now. It will be 20 years next year. And uh, it's something that will, will never go away. I even wrote and said, can I help support the website? Can I do something to make She said, they said, no, it's all taken care of. Somebody is endowed it forever. And so the poem is there. And now you can have your own book. <laughs> Thank you.